She also isn't required to be a disciple in the same way that Peter and James and John and all the rest are. Her actions in her own discipleship are different than theirs. And when Judas complains about it, when Judas takes issue with it, Jesus makes absolutely clear that this is fundamentally misguided. Hello, and welcome to Ensure Uncertain Hope, a podcast about faith in God and Jesus, hope for the Episcopal Church, and a whole bunch of other stuff. I'm Father Jed, host of the podcast. I'm happy you're here with me today. For our first podcasts, we're going to be doing a short series during Holy Week with meditations on the Gospels appointed for each of those days. This is the meditation for Holy Monday. Today's reading is from the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 12, beginning at the first verse. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for three hundred denarii? and the money given to the poor. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. When the great crowd of the Jews learned that he was there, they came out not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death as well, since it was on account of him that many of the Jews were deserting and were believing in Jesus. Here ends the reading. The thing you have to understand about John's Gospel, first and foremost, is it's always about telling the story. You know, that one. And today's reading from chapter 12 is no different. I mean, this is John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is John who we've been reading in, the, in, in Lent for several Sundays. John's Gospel is one in, which is laser-focused on the story of the good news which they're trying to make known to you in this way. And so every story that John tells is trying to convey that same story. The details may be different, but the essential story is the same. It's always about the good news of Jesus Christ, whose time is coming, 
who is the Savior of the world. And so when we get to chapter 12, we've just raised Lazarus. Jesus has done his final sign. And then we get this story about what happens afterwards at at this dinner party. And it's like a preview. Everything is going to happen in Jesus' passion in miniature. That's one of the great things about it being on the Monday of Holy Week is that everything that happens after is almost sort of prefigured in this story. There is this dinner, the last dinner that Jesus will have with Mary and Martha in Bethany. There's the washing of feet, just like we'll have on Palm, on a Monday, Thursday. There's betrayal by Judas, this time with words rather than with actions. And there's this allusion to Jesus' impending death. Talking about how Mary has anointed him for burial. Alluding to this thing that's going to happen to Jesus in his death. This necessary thing, this thing that all humans go through. And Jesus is not excluded from this. And this is all linked around Lazarus and Mary and Martha, who we just heard about a few Sundays ago on the fifth Sunday of Lent. There it was a little bit different, though. It was Lazarus who was being raised from the dead, and now Lazarus is alive. And we hear that it's because of Lazarus' continuing life that Jesus is going to be put to death. And they're talking about killing Lazarus, too. But it's this family that's incredibly important, and actually more important than Lazarus, in fact, are Martha and Mary. Martha is talked about just at the beginning, just a little bit. But what is said about her is really interesting because she's said to have served at table. And the word that is used in Greek is diakonos. That is the same word where, where we get the word deacon. And this is a word that... The community around that's built around John's gospel would have known for the for the service of deaconhood, of being a deacon. They would have had deacons even in the late first, early second century. And so this is not an accident by John. It's not, well, there's no other word, and he doesn't really mean that Martha is deacon. He means Martha acts as deacon. Full stop. End of story. Martha acts as deacon. So in this way, John is almost saying that, you know, regardless of what Luke says, the writer of Luke's gospel says in the Acts of the Apostles, that, sorry, Stephen, Martha is actually the first deacon. She serves at table just like a deacon would. And then you have Mary, who is the center of this particular story. Mary, who is this devoted disciple. And when I say devoted disciple, I don't just mean like she really likes Jesus and she really wants to follow Jesus' teaching. I mean, I mean that she has access to Jesus in the same way that Peter or James or John or Judas do. She is a disciple with no exceptions. She seeks no permission to, to wash Jesus' feet and anoint his feet with this costly perfumed ointment. She needs not to. She doesn't need to. There's no necessity for her to seek permission to do this. She is a disciple. She also isn't required to be a disciple in the same way that Peter and James and John and all the rest are. Her actions in her own discipleship are different than theirs. And when Judas complains about it, 
when Judas takes issue with it, it is Judas and the others who, for whom he might be speaking, because it's entirely possible that although John has this big issue with Judas for obvious reasons that will become clear later, Judas is probably saying something that at least some of the other disciples are thinking. There is this male discomfort with Mary's place. But Jesus makes absolutely clear that this is fundamentally misguided. Jesus affirms Mary's position again, just as he did with Martha in a previous story. Mary chooses this way to be a disciple, and Jesus will not take it away from her. In fact, this is Mary's way of serving, way of being a disciple. And I mean disciple with a capital D. As much as anybody else, any of the 12, any of those who follow Jesus for all of his ministry are, Mary is considered a disciple. And Martha and Mary, as much as anything, are considered essential parts of this, this, this community that forms around Jesus because of their action. Because they do what is needed for the good of the community, for the good of Jesus, for the good of all who are present. Martha serves. She is a deacon. She feed, makes sure everyone is fed, makes sure everyone is taken care of, brings to mind the needs of those around table. And Mary serves as a disciple in the way that she feels called. In this case, by anointing Jesus' feet with costly ointment that she has saved. Maybe for this moment. And what Jesus doesn't do is shut down either of them. He doesn't tell either of them to stop. He doesn't tell either of them that they need to change the way they're doing anything. Instead, he tells the male disciples, voiced here by Judas, that they need to back off. That they are not in charge of policing how the church is supposed to be the church, how the community forming around Jesus that will become what is the church is to be the church. They are not to say, well, that's fine, but that's not okay. They are to seek the way in which they serve Jesus. They are in relationship with God in Jesus rather than looking at how others are in relationship with Jesus and either comparing it to the way in which they do things and, and telling other people that, that they should be doing it the way that we are doing it, or by seeking to conform themselves to the way that others are following Jesus. We are not supposed to do either of those things. We are not supposed to police. We are not supposed to conform. We are to seek to seek those who relate to Jesus differently than us, but seek him with sincere hearts. And also to seek out those 
with whom we feel we don't have anything in common, particularly the poor. And I want to say something about that last little bit that gets misused. The poor you will always have with you. Because we take this and we do exactly what Jesus says not to do. We turn them into the poor. Like they're this strange class of people with whom we have nothing in common, particularly in American 20th and 21st century Christianity. And it's they're people to be pitied who are out there away from us with whom we should not have a, have a relationship other than to do good for them because they will always be with us. And maybe instead we should think about the fact that what Jesus is actually saying is that people who are struggling, and this might be particularly salient now, this Holy Week, above all others, people who are, there are people who will always be struggling and you will know them at some point. And if you don't, that's on you. If you do not have a relationship with them, that's on you. And I wonder, Jesus says, if you have then a relationship with me. Imagine that, Jesus seems to say. The poor are people. Women are people. And I love them. Collectively, yes, and individually. And no two of them will relate to me in exactly the same way. And our job is not to police how they come to Jesus, how they relate to Jesus, as long as it is in seeking and serving others in the way that Jesus teaches us. It is not to force them to conform to the way we do it so that we feel affirmed in our own relationship with Jesus. It is simply to look at them and see in them, not just the Imago Dei, the image of the God who created them, but also what we call the persona Christi, the person of Christ, to see in them Jesus, to see in them a person for whom Jesus was willing to be betrayed, to be put into the hands of state and religious authorities, to be put to death and to rise again for each one of those people. They are not the poor, they are not, oh, those women. They are people with whom we should be having a relationship. A relationship based in, around, and modeled upon Jesus, crucified and risen. Thank you for joining us today for this meditation for the Monday in Holy Week. I hope that you'll join us again for other meditations in this Holy Week and for other podcasts as we continue to talk about all these things that give us this sure and certain hope. And I hope that the blessing of God's love is with you now and forevermore.